Hello, this is Gareth Jones on Speed, episode 306, the second part of my road test in the Aston Martin V12 Vantage, and an opportunity to be one of the very first people to have a tour of Aston Martin's new production facility at St. Athen in South Wales. We've been led outside of the first hangar today. Uh, we're going to go on a tour, I'm told, of the facility. Please gather in. I'm not a Sergeant Major, I'm afraid. I don't really have that loud a voice, but welcome to the first ever sort of factory tour of Aston Martin St. Athen. My name is Steve Waddingham. I'm one of the factory tour team, currently based at Gaydon. 27 years of Aston Martin. This will be my third brand new factory, but probably the most important one ever. So it's really a great honor to be able to show you around our new factory site. Obviously there isn't a factory in here at the moment, but what I want to try and do is bring it to life a little bit and show you what we're going to do within this part of the building and all the other sections really, and kind of explain what the layout's going to be as we turn it into a factory. But before we look at the factory itself, if you'd like to follow me this way and let me introduce you to some of our cars from the past and some of the current cars as well. If you'd like to follow me over here. Now, this is a room if you like cars, and I know you do. I can see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 20 Aston Martins, ranging from, I think that's a DB2 down the bottom, to the Le Mans LMP1 that Dave Richards ran based on the Lola chassis. So the cars that are in front of you are some of our latest hits over the years really of manufacturing cars. We've been making cars for just over 104 years. So in this room are some of the most important cars of our history. Some of them are fairly recent. And one of them is right at the beginning of our history. So as we walk through, I'll give you just a very quick overview of what cars we have here. The car to my right is a car called CC100. It's one of only two. They were built to celebrate our 100th anniversary. One of them has a yellow band and one has the blue. The blue car was basically built in privacy and at the time when we first showed the car with the yellow decals, that was believed to be the only one in the world. But this car was also built at the same time. And recently the car has been allowed to be shown publicly and it's a very interesting car. A bit drafty when you get going in it, as you'll notice the doors have got cutaway sections and the car is really reminiscent of our kind of golden age of Le Mans cars from the 1950s and 60s. Just behind you, if you're this side, there's a DB10. That's one of the 10 James Bond cars built for Spectre. This is one of the stunt cars. This is the car that did most of the action shots in the streets of Rome, power sliding around outside the Vatican, etc. Next to it, we've got a golden car here, which is the Lagonda Taraf one of our special handmade Lagondas, built special order. On the other side we have a V12 Zagato prototype. You may often hear the word Zagato. Zagato is an Italian company. It's a coach builder that we've worked with for many, many years. And whenever we combine forces, often the cars that come from the project are very beautiful, interesting to look at, and also long-term, very collectible. Over on this side we have a current Zagato. This is a Vanquish Zagato. 
one of 99 cars that we're building this year. On the other side again, the grey car, it's a 177, one for one million, 77 being the number of cars that we built. This one is one of seven UK right-hand drive cars, so very, very rare. Now worth about two million, so maybe it's a 277, but it was originally a 177. We have a Le Mans car here, a car that was raced a few years ago at Le Mans, called LMP car, Le Mans prototype. Next to it is another car with the word Le Mans attached to it. This car is a V8 Vantage Le Mans. There were 40 of these made between 99 and the end of 2000. 550 brake horsepower with twin superchargers. So a very iconic car in our design history. Over here we have a GT8, which is the white car with the black tail fin. One of 150 cars we're building this year. Another limited edition car sold out. Next to that is the current Vanquish S, launched in November last year. That's our flagship model. We have a red car over here, which is a car called a Virar 6.3 wide body. Very, very rare car. So it was a standard car, which we then converted, put bigger wheel arches, made the engine bigger. Very, very powerful for its time. 500 brake horsepower. And then over here, a car from the 1970s. A little bit of Concord about this car from that same era. So very pointy, wedgy, lots of up-to-the-minute electronics inside it. A car we built just over 600 of, and that kept the name Lagonda alive for many, many years. And then probably one of our most famous cars next to it, DB5. Silver Birch is the colour, made famous by 007, driving a car in that colour in Goldfinger. Over here we have a V8 Vantage, a green car very powerful car fastest car in the world at the time with four seats 170 miles an hour top speed next to it is a very very famous car dbr1 one of five cars built and these were built to race at le mans and around the world in various sports car races and a car very similar to this one won le mans in 1959 that car is currently estimated to be worth somewhere between about 18 and 20 million so it's a very valuable car and then over here we have the oldest Aston Martin in the world. The third prototype, built in 1921, known as A3. Very, very famous car, uh, driven by Lionel Martin and Kate Martin, and then rediscovered just a few years ago, wearing a different body, hiding in the auction lot, being missed by virtually everybody, but now being bought by the Aston Martin Heritage Trust and the Owners Club between them look after this car and it is a very very famous car it's where our story really starts you'll notice it hasn't got any brakes at the front so this is a prototype car the later cars had four-wheel brakes on them very advanced technology for the 1920s and then over here we have a db2 which is one of the first ever db cars db means david brown so david brown was our owner for many many years and he started a whole chain of cars to bear the db initials the DB2 being the first production car and 15 cars built prior to that are now known as DB1 although they were never sold as a DB1 and of course the DB name is alive and well today as DB11 that's our current new GT car which we built at Gaydon so that's just a quick overview these are just a handful of cars that from our history about 80,000 cars have been built so a very very small number about the same as what other car companies build each month and the survival rate is about 90%. So we've got a very high survival rate. But these cars really are here just to kind of tell the story a little bit. 
Yeah. Lots of follow me over this way. I'll go and show you the layout of the building. That's quite a room, that is. Even if you just took two of those cars, that's still quite a room. <laughs> to see all those cars, that's really something. So the room that we're in now is a smaller hangar than the one that we were in. I'd say it's about an eighth of the size. And <laughs> most people have hung around taking pictures of the cars. They haven't come with us. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to start doing some sort of military briefing at this point with the map. So this is where we are, this is the suite of buildings. And right now we're looking through to the VIP entrance. So this bit here is that door basically. And if, as you can imagine, when this is fully finished, we'll have a nice front on the front of the building and our customers and our VIPs will come into this area. And we will have a full suite of customer rooms and lounges to look after our clients from around the world. And then to give you an idea of what's behind and where we've been so far, if you can imagine, this is the VIP area. Where we've just been is here. And all this area, both sides of this corridor, are what we call off-tracks. It's where we take the cars when they come off the assembly line and they come through for us to road test and to check for quality, polish, put the badges on. We have a little almost ceremony on every car where we put the wings on the car. So once the car's been proved from a paintwork point of view, gets to wear the wings so we put the wings on the car that will take place in this area here as we walk back out into the slightly sort of semi-open area we call this the street and once we're building cars this will be a, a sort of holding area for holding finished cars and the lorries will come in and take them away each day so this will be a kind of shipping area for new vehicles you'll notice as well where the toilets are and where the coffee is in between every one of the three hangars or what we will call halls, we have an office area. So we have a suite of offices built in between each of the main halls. And then with hall one, which we're gonna walk back into, this is where the Hercules is at the moment. This area is all gonna be a production line. So we'll have a great big, as you can see, almost like a circle where the cars go on and they come around here and back off here. So they'll start off as an empty body shell and we'll then fit the power train, the glass, the trim, and then build the car, basically. Floating above it will be a trim shop. We'll have a mezzanine floor, taking advantage of the 25 metres of height we have. We're going to build a second level, and all our sewers and all our lever cutters will all be upstairs trimming the interior. The interior will then come downstairs and go into the cars. In Hall 2, we will have a paint shop, so we'll spray the cars in here and behind it in hall three will be the body area where we make the body of the car so we'll make the body here paint it here and build it into a car on this part of the building but to build a car you need two and a half thousand parts per car so that's everything from the cigar lighter to the seats and the dashboard and the glass so all those parts all arrive here in sub-assembly parts so thousands of parts come in for every car they will come through where it says deliveries and they will be then checked for quality and then they'll be passed through to be packaged into large kit boxes. So when we build a car, we build a car from a huge, great big box full of pieces that are all laid out in order in the right process for our assembly line. So all of that will be kitted up and then taken out onto the line on little electric trucks and delivered off 
And that happens all day long when you're building cars, all about logistics. Our cars tend to be almost one-off, so each car is individual. So we envisage just to be exactly the same with the cars that we're going to build here. We regularly build cars that we only ever make one of, and that may just be an ordinary car, but in different colours. So you may have a pink car with green seats and yellow carpet, and that's the only one we ever make. All this system here allows us to do that, so we will replicate what we have at Gaydon and do the same thing here. I think what we'll do now is we'll walk back down this way, and I'll just show you again where this is all going to be in the factory. Fascinating. If you were a mathematician and studied calculus, you would probably work out that the best way to optimise a line in a confined area is to build a labyrinth, something which circles in on itself. I'm sure Zog would correct me on the maths of that. That idea of a sort of a spiral or circular production line running round the perimeters of the building is absolutely fascinating either that or you need a very very long very narrow building it's a huge building and they're making the most of the space available clever you can imagine this will be full of cars all brand new cars all lined up with lorries coming in to take them away so when the cars come out from behind us so they'll come from production they'll be finished in here and eventually they'll drive back out when we ship cars we normally put them inside a big protective cover so it's a white cotton cover that zips around the car and they will be then driven onto trucks and then taken off and shipped all over the world so currently 55 countries buy cars from us so i can imagine in years to come this will be full of cars going all over the world from this site so going back into hall one now so let's have another look at this We're going back into the room where the Hercules is, where the presentation was. Absolutely vast. Okay, we just want to gather around. Uh, so you have to try and use your imagination a little bit now, everyone, because this is going to be a factory in a few years' time. And what it will look like is it will have cars being built all the way around this room. There'll be a big ring of cars. And then up in the ceiling, floating above us, we'll build this. This will be our trim shop. This is where we're going to hand sew leather together to make the interior. Now currently on a Vanquish, we can use anything up to about 11 hides of leather. A hide of leather is 2 metres by 2.5 metres. And we cut up 11 of them to make the inside of a Vanquish. So please help us out by eating lots of beef, because <laughs> we need the, uh, the spare leftovers. On a car like a DBX, it's going to be even more than that because it'll be a bigger car with more leather, basically. So that will all be up here above us as a trim shop. And then just ahead of you, you can see into Hall 2. If you want to follow me down here, I'll quickly finish off the tour and show you So we're transecting that first hall that we were in. If you imagine it's a rectangle, we're walking from one of the longer sides straight across the middle to the other longer side to another room which matches this one in volume it's identical in terms of space and i would imagine this is where a great deal of their fabrication is going to be done i uh, would imagine that you have to separate the heavy industrial work from the lighter industrial work so in a room where you're handling leather and other trim parts and highly 
polished steelwork, you don't want to be doing steel fabrication because you get lots of particles flying around in the air from that. So it's a very separate room as we walk into it. Wow, this is a big space. And one of the team pointed out that there's lots of uh, skid marks on the floor here because they've been filming okay, driving so cars around inside here. See how many more people following. <laughs> The tour's getting a bit more manageable yes. now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, I'm sure the buffet is kind of won over from me, which yeah. is fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you can use your imagination a little bit, this will be the paint shop. Now, normally, when you build a paint shop, you have to dig a big hole in the ground to put tanks in, to put things like water tanks in, because you tend to use air to blow the dust from the spray guns down to the floor Ooh. and extract it through and mix it into the water. So... Because we've got all this height, rather than dig into the ground, we're going to go up. So actually the paint shop will be sort of upstairs with all the workings below it. So this will be the paint shop, which I know some of my colleagues from Gaydon are nodding their head and they can probably use their imagination. You'll be in here painting cars. Has that been done before, working up rather than going down? Um, I think over the years, lots of different paint shop things have been tried out. But the thing about our paint process is it's very different to mass car production. We spray about 35% of our cars by hand because our customers are very good at using their imagination and thinking up colours that we'll never do ever again. So rather than teach a robot to do a one-off colour, we often have to do it by hand. Also, certain colour types have got different effects between the paint and the lacquer. And again, that's achieved better by hand rather than robots. So what we're very good at is painting difficult colours we know that the worst thing we can do in here is try and build a factory that can only handle a handful of colours because that won't work for us. It needs to be very, very flexible. The other thing that's very different about an Aston finish is that it's very much dependent on hand preparation. So the primer coatings are flatted in between primer and the colour. And also the top layer of the lacquer, so the glossy coating that locks the paint onto the car, when it dries, leaves behind a kind of ripply finish. So again, we've always been famous for flattening the top layer of that down and hand polishing it. And all that takes an awful lot of labour and a lot of time per car. So it's at least 50 hours per car, and it can be, as these guys know, a lot more than that. So there's no upper limit on that. And we want to be able to build on what we're already good at, offering more choice, offering more possibilities for people to custom build a car. So that would all be in here. That would be the paint shop. And then behind it, through the other side of this wall, if you can imagine, there's another one of these halls, the same size as this one again. And that's the other side, and that will have the body area. All this over here will be making body shells and the chassis of the car from aluminium. So they'll be bonded together into a thing we can actually paint. So the painting will be done in here. And then on this side, this will be the kitting area for the stores. All the spare parts, all the things coming in will be split up and put into boxes to be taken out to the cars. And then behind that, another area this big for unloading trucks and the kind of checking in, if you like, of parts into the building. So it's Have you a... got enough room? <laughs> well, apparently, yes. <laughs> and although there are a few mushrooms already about we could do with a bit more space, but... Uh, one thing about a car factory is you're always going to push into every corner and already, you know, we're trying to plan where we're going to put certain things. But we've got a whole team of people and that's what they do. They specialise in setting up factories. So, How does this compare to the space you've had previously? It's bigger than we currently have. The whole site here, I believe, in terms of square metreage, once we've built what we need to build, will be about 65,000 square metres. So that's quite a considerable difference to what we currently have. 
and the unusual thing for us will be to have a second floor level really have this kind of mezzanine floor level so yeah it's going to be a vast area I'm already working out how long it's going to take me to walk round okay. with customers <laughs> but it's going to be good fun what in the square meters is your current space? I'm not sure on that one we'll have to double check that one but it's grown slightly over the years it's smaller than this but it's spread between some outer buildings as well as the main building but to give you a rough idea, you know, this is roughly, I think it's 178 metres that way and 64 metres that way per hang. hall, if you like, or hangar. Yeah, I must try not to use the word hangar now. It's cars and planes. OK. But it is, a, yeah, you're right, it's a hangar. We're going to call this Hall 1, 2 and Hall 3. So that's what the sort of production car world language is for this sort of space, really. Of course, the other thing we'll be doing is bringing customers in every day. So my job normally is showing people around Gaydon, has been over the years, the other factories we've had as well. And we get currently about a 1,000 tours per year, customer tours. That's people coming, see their cars being made, coming to choose the colours for them. And I know some of us here have worked together on this over the years, showing people around and helping them spend their money on the right pieces and the right colours for their car. So that will continue here as well. How much space do you have outside? Are you going to build a test track at all or are you going to continue using other dedicated tracks? Well, at the moment at Gaydon we like to use rolling roads because they're safer than traditional test tracks, but we certainly have a lot of options here. Again, that's probably a bit far off to comment on that any further. But at the moment, all our road testing, which we call it road testing, is actually done on rolling roads rather than on the public roads. That's one thing we will not do on a big basis is test cars out on the open road. It's safer to do it inside away from the public, also away from nature. Animals, wind, the weather, none of it really makes for a particularly good environment for testing cars in. So in a rolling road environment, you can control the sort of atmosphere, if you like, and it keeps the whole thing a lot safer for the car and for the driver as well. Okay, and I think that's the end of my first ever tour of St. Athen. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. How about that? You went on the first ever tour of the Aston Martin St. Athen facility. Cool. Well, I think I've got pretty much everything I need from this event. I didn't mention when I walked in the room that there were two Aston Martins parked in front of those aircraft in the hangar in front of the Hawk I think it's a Hawk 200 is the new DBX that is quite a car it's still very much an Aston Martin it just looks like an Aston Martin on big wheels jacked up very high and that's not a bad thing it just looks purposeful very purposeful and over the other side is the latest in Aston Martins I'm walking over there road cars. Uh, I always struggle to tell the difference between Aston Martins because when you look at them all you get is Aston Martin. It's that grill, it's that badge, it's those vents down the side. But uh, this one I think has got the 5.3 litre twin turbo engine I think. Whether that's faster than the one I'm in today you think it might be, mightn't it? Beautiful piece of engineering and enormously proud that they're going to be making these cars in Wales from now on right I'm done here I'm going to go and get in my car and I might just go for a small blast on these lovely Welsh roads as a listener to Gareth Jones on Speed it's a fairly safe guess that you like cars and so you might enjoy The Tale of Two Welsh Cars a half an hour radio documentary made by Gareth for BBC Radio Wales 
The programme looks at the history of car manufacturing in Wales by charting the story of Welsh car company Gilburn. Gilburn were two friends, really. Well, they started off with one chap, Giles Smith. He wanted to make his own car, basically. By chance, he met up with another man called Bernard Fries, who was an ex-prisoner of war, and he was living in Kent. But Bernard had always worked with fibreglass and knew how to do a bit of coach building. So they got together, and they decided to make their own car. I picked this car up off eBay, bought off the photograph. It was a non-runner. I managed to get the car delivered to my home. And what sort of condition was it in? Do you think, what have I done? Well, I did have a bit of an intake of breath. I must admit, it was, <laughs> it was a little worse than I expected, particularly when I opened the bonnet up, the engine bay. It was an absolute mess. You know, it looked like someone had set fire to it. Cool, well then, up the hill. Let's hear the engine work, can we? It's all carburettors, you can hear. Yeah. It's like the flared nostrils on a yeah, Welsh dragon. <laughs> the tale of two Welsh cars also looks at the future and emergence of River Simple, a new start-up in the nation, building a car like no other. And we're rolling. It does no. make a modern noise. Do forgive the fact that the suspension is quite clunky. Yeah, at the moment. I think the shock absorbers have been valved for a Range Rover or something. Apparently they're no to least shock absorbers, but even that, is far too heavy for us. Shall I shut down now? Yeah, well, let's hear it go down. I like the sound. We'd first of all press this button here. And that's what the future will sound like. The Tale of Two Welsh Cars, available on the BBC iPlayer from the 15th of April to the 15th of May 2017. In the step change we're facing in not just the transport sector, but also in the energy industry, Wales has a real opportunity to punch way above its weight. Gilbert badge on the front, the great dragon. They were proud of the Welsh heritage. Just as a postscript, as if this day couldn't get any better, I've come outside and I looked up into the sky and a hawk flies past. Not any old hawk, this one was in the colours of the red arrows. One of them is about to land on the airfield here. It's all to do with the tie-up between Aston Martin and the RAF. There's a big event here on Sunday for the Aston Martin Owners Club and I think the Red Arrows, or one of them, will be here for that. It just arrived. Pretty cool. Aston Martin was quite something and uh, so is the sound of this car. I've been told to ignore the sat-nav by the local security guards as I left St. Athen today. I will, thank you very much. I'm going to turn that down because you don't want to be interrupted every couple of seconds, do you? Wow, what a thing that was, uh, Aston Martin moving to Wales, and what a thing 
this car is it really is quite well I said it was a beast when I first got in it I said it was a beast but the truth is it's a bit of a pussycat really because once you adapt to the car it's no more difficult to drive than a Ford Fiesta it requires a bit of muscle I wouldn't call it a manly car because I think that's a very sexist thing to say it's a muscular car not a muscle car it does require a bit of muscle to heft the gearbox around the steering is nicely balanced it really is the suede steering wheel I thought I turned that down the steering wheel really is the roundest grippiest steering wheel I've had since my old Lancia HPE it's covered in suede and it's proper circular it really is oh roundabout shall I go around twice let's go around the roundabout twice why not the levels of grip I can't even begin to tell you how quickly I'm going around this roundabout oh the back end just tucks in and the front end is so precise it's a remarkable beast it really really is <laughs> sorry I just realised I dropped the microphone that's probably why that sounded terrible I've got a microphone which I use for recording whilst I'm driving which is a lapel microphone but the clip has gone missing the thing that I use to mount to my shirt has fallen down somewhere inside the car with extreme g-forces sorry about the noise that's me tying it on with a bit of gaffer tape to my seatbelt. so I hope that actually worked I don't know if it did because with a manual car you can't hold a recorder device whilst you're driving because that would be inadvisable for lots of reasons it's got some really nice subtleties to it. It's not a subtle car, you know, it's flared wheel arches and makes an incredible din. People comment it all the time. I just filled it up with fuel and I was only sort of reparking the car to line up next to the right pump that had the higher grade unleaded fuel. And a chap came out and said, oh, I could listen to the sound of that car all day. It's music, isn't it? And that was just sort of tick over blah, 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 blah. it makes a lovely sound there's some real subtleties to this car the switch for the boot when I first tried to open the boot I struggled to find it it's a tiny little what my father used to call a tit a really tiny little stainless steel stud really quite tiny that you just touch an electronic switch and it pops open the boot and similarly for the fuel filler it has a tiny little stud and again because it's so tiny and subtle you just wouldn't see it it's buried down deep in the right hand side of the footwell on the driver's side and so Aston Martin have very kindly given it a tiny red LED down in the footwell so you can find it a little red LED so you know where to put your finger that's a nice thing I've probably mentioned the swathes of carbon fiber and the black suede inside the car what I haven't mentioned is the sound system which is a Bang und Olufsen sound system Bang and Olufsen the Swedish company who make the most lovely sound systems have put a great system in this car which has got lots of headroom 
no distortion and I usually like to say what sort of music sounds good in a car and the truth is pretty much everything so far sounds good in this car from my experience no one thing although there was a moment on the way here when I was listening to the Stereophonics Dakota which made me think oh I've got to turn this up it sounds great but that may be just a South Walian vibe thing <laughs> the fact that I was coming to South Wales hearing a South Walian band seemed appropriate and tickled me that way I don't know what else can I tell you about this car? The steering's great, it's not electrically assisted, it's hydraulically assisted, so it's nice and adaptive. You know, you get a bit more assistance at low speed than you do at high speed, and at high speed it toughens up a little bit, which is the right thing to do. So they've got all that right. It's also got AM shift as well, a system whereby if you put it in sport mode, it blips the throttle as you go up and down the gearbox and matches the rev speed of the engine to match the gearbox as well so it really is a driver's car it's an aston martin of course it's going to be a driver's car the name's on speed gareth jules on speed you know i'm a big star trek fan and uh, i always find ways of referencing star trek when I'm talking about cars but there's one moment in I think it's the search for Spock where Jim Kirk and Sulu and Scotty and Chekhov steal the Enterprise from Space Dock and they leave Earth and they're chased by Captain Stiles a really arrogant horrible captain who chases the Enterprise in the Excelsior. The Excelsior is supposed to be, you know, the next generation of starships, that which will replace Kirk's outmoded Constitution-class starship. This thing has got transwarp drive, you know, a revolution in engineering. And Stiles at one point famously says, incredible machine. Well, I was just driving this car and navigating around some roundabouts and the car did some incredible things its ability to put the power down and blast around the corner you know genuinely putting strain on my neck and in the back of my mind I said to myself incredible machine <laughs> this is the Excelsior of road cars it truly is uh, and another thing I have to note whilst I've been driving this car for a couple of days it hasn't given me backache and I was expecting it to because I drive a lot of automatic cars these days my own car Vasora is automatic and that means that my left leg doesn't get the muscular exercise neither does my lower back that it does if you're driving a manual car um, I don't know what it is about this car but despite all the effort required by my left leg it hasn't given me backache incredible machine dear Mr Aston and Mr Martin having driven one of your most excellent cars for some time now I should like to make an complaint the complaint is as such <coughs> 
within the car I was unable to find a suitable position in order to place my hot or cold drink. I thoroughly appreciate the efforts that you have gone to to manufacture one of the finest cars I have ever had the pleasure of driving but to admit the cup holder I'm afraid is unforgivable. Therefore, I shall not be spending my £130,000 on one of your cars, and instead shall buy an American car with at least nine cup holders. Wrote no one ever. <laughs> no, it doesn't have a cup holder. This is probably, I'm trying to think about this, the first car I've driven since I've been doing Gareth Jones on speed which doesn't have a single cup holder in it. And it's led me to a conclusion. I've been trying to think of appropriate superlatives for this car. You know, it accelerates like a rocket. And by that I mean I think it would probably reach escape velocity given half a chance. 17,000 miles per hour. But the superlative that I came up with for this car is uncompromising. Of all the cars I've driven... This is the most uncompromising of them all. It's got a V12 in it, very small, lightweight, aluminium body with a V12 in it. There's no compromise there, is there? There are no cup holders, because in a car capable of 205 miles per hour, why would you want cup holders? What are you doing drinking hot drinks in a car which you go almost three times the national speed limit. I know you don't have to drive it like that all the time. This car tempts you to, it teases you, it wants you to drive quicker all the time. It's that linear power delivery that you get from a V12. No great drama. Unlike the Jaguar F-Type R all-wheel drive, that supercharged monster which was you know, a model of theatre and drama. This does it without drama. It makes a beautiful sound, but it's not a dramatic, roarty sound like a supercharged V8. It's a musical, almost subtle thrum of a V12. No drama, no compromise. You know, a V12 is uncompromising. So there you go, that's the best term I think I can come up with for this car. It's an astounding idea to put such a big engine in such a little car. It's a very purist idea. I think Zog would approve of that. And if Zog approves of it, and I know Richard would like it because he loves an Aston Martin and I'm completely smitten about it, then, you know, if this is a car which can appease the very diverse desires of all three of us on Gareth Jones on speed and I'm assuming the other two would make that decision but I think it's a reasonable assumption I know them well that this truly is an incredible machine neither does this car have the supple compliant suspension of the F-Type R as well because it's uncompromising and if you think about it a car that's going to do 205 miles per hour you can't afford to have a soft suspension really it's got to be hard as nails to cope 
with driving at those sorts of velocities. I've experimented a little bit with the various settings, the sport setting for the transmission and the various suspension settings. And I think I'd have to be really travelling at hyper-velocities, illegal velocities, to get the most out of the dampers. Because going round roundabouts with it on the standard setting, it still is deeply, fantastically impressive. It really is. Quite a lot of tyre noise as well. You can probably hear it slapping and banging. And if I cross a couple of capsides, listen to this. I've managed to miss capsides moving from one lane to another. Let's see if I can do it again. Hold on. Not so bad. That didn't work. Should we make some noise? Okay. I'll come down a couple of gears and we'll make some noise. Italian soprano, but an English tenor. There's a to it, isn't there? It's lovely. If I go down a couple of gears, that's lovely, isn't it? And as I approach another 50 mile per hour zone I'm going to slow right down and actually it's very happy trucking along at lower speeds once you get in the motorway like I say it doesn't smooth you along you feel thumps and bumps you can probably hear them quite audibly they sound worse than they actually are but I remember when I drove the Jag F-Type R it did tend to sort of float above the road this doesn't do that you're definitely on the road but you know what from what is definitely a driver's car you want to know you're attached to the road so you know that's no bad thing is it I've got to tell you about the dials classic old analog real instruments none of your virtual nonsense here <laughs> and uh, Okay, try and picture this. You've got a dial in front of you, and at where five o'clock on the dial would be on a clock, you've got naught miles per hour. And it goes around to about where one o'clock would be on a clock, and that's where it says 220 miles per hour. So if you imagine you're doing 30 and the speedo finger is pointing vertically downwards. You're doing 50, and it's where, I don't know, 7 o'clock would be. 120 miles per hour is where 9 o'clock would be on the dial. It's incredible. This car makes you think you're driving more slowly than you actually are because of the positioning of the dial. I mean, that's just cheeky, isn't it? I mean, that's uncompromising. I guess they want to get your attention. If you're in a car capable of 
200 miles per hour or more, which this is, you want to know that, don't you? And so they put the 200 mile per hour right at the very top at 12 o'clock. So that's got your attention. I found it. I finally found the piece of music that suits this car or works best in this car. It took me, you know, listening to my entire record collection practically on here to spot it. But Ronnie Size came on. I think it's called Brown Paper Bag, the song. The one with that incredible bass. And with very jazzy drums. I've always liked that track. But heavens to Murgatroyd, it sounded phenomenal in this car. Maybe it's just the EQ of that track which suits the natural EQ of this small two-seater that I'm in. There's no rear seats of this, of course. There's a parcel shelf at the back for your spare underwear. Actually, you know, it's pretty good, the boot space and the storage space in this car. I'd say it's better than that XFR that I drove. Yeah, runny size, brown paper bag. That's the tune for the Vantage V12. Who'd have thought? I was joking with the people from Aston Martin while I was at the event, suggesting two things. Number one, that from now on cars will be known as Athen Martins, because they're built in St. Athen. And second of all, perhaps they ought to consider evolving the Aston Martin logo slightly. They ought to evolve the Aston Martin wings, which have quite straight edges around the perimeter. If you imagine that they gave them concave curves between the radial striations on the Aston Martin logo, rather like, oh, dragon's wings, you know, like a bat wing that's sort of sculpting, evolving the Aston Martin logo to look slightly Welsh. That would be a beautiful thing. This car is a beautiful thing. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Aston Martin experience. I hope you have as well. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed. I was Gareth and I was very happy. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!